If you would, open your Bibles to Proverbs 19. Proverbs 19. We know we are making our way through some lessons in the book of Proverbs. We're going to be wrapping up here pretty soon. Just have a few more things I'd like to, to share with you from the Proverbs. And I hope you'll take these lessons and, and have a better understanding of the book of Proverbs. There's, when we get to chapter 10, we, know, we mark the difference. And uh, there's so many, uh, one or two, verb, two verses, uh, Proverbs, and it's, it's really hard to to delve into each and every one. So I hope that you will use this book as a reference and come back and, and read these and see the truths that are, that are spelled out there and, uh, and just have a little deeper appreciation and understanding of the Proverbs. Um, and it be, might be a good Bible study somewhere down the road for us as well. But last time we looked at um, Proverbs 18, 18 through 22 and and we looked at how the righteous and the, and the wicked were contrasted, and we pulled uh, um, some of those together under subject headings, and we're going to do something similar tonight. Um, but as I said, we noticed there, at the beginning of chapter 10, how the Proverbs uh, change a little bit. The discourse becomes much shorter in each, each proverb that, that's, that's offered. And remember, uh, again, just to call our attention, the definition of a proverb is a short, pithy saying in general use, stating a general truth or piece of advice. Um, so keep that in mind as we go through. And as we mentioned for the next several lessons, we're going to kind of take more of a topical um, approach to our lessons. So we're going to do that tonight. We're going to, um, like we did last week, have a few subject headings um, and, um, and then look at some, uh, some of the Proverbs that fall under that. And, and this set of Proverbs really give us some life lessons. And so that's what we're going to be looking at tonight, are some life lessons that we find from Proverbs 19 through 23. Um, we'll group these together again, and, and we'll um, make some application. We'll, we'll discuss a little bit. Like I said last week, uh, what more do I have to say? <laughs> these these t the teachings are simple and straightforward, but, well, we'll provide a few, a few comments, and uh, we'll make some applications and look at some some corresponding things in the New Testament that help us uh, to draw on this wisdom from, from the Proverbs and see the, how the New Testament writers seem to do that and how their writings um, echo what has been said already so long ago in the Proverbs. So let's begin um, tonight talking about uh, some life lessons. And we'll start with some life lessons on alcohol. Um, just a couple of things to, to bring to our mind why this is, this is important for us to, to talk about. Some statistics I pulled up. Uh, some 88,000 deaths annually from alcohol-related causes. That makes it the third most in preventable causes of death, which is really astounding. 88,000 deaths annually, which that means that they could have been prevented if only people hadn't been imbibing and engaging in alcohol abuse. 88,000 deaths. Uh, 2010 alcohol misuse cost the United States some $249 billion. And 75% of that is due to binge drinking. You know, that's, um, we think often of young people on spring break and those kind of instances and um, 
unfortunately we see a lot of um, deaths and, and tragedies occur because of such activity, but that, that's pretty astounding as well. 75% of this $249 billion a year is because of binge drinking. One other statistic here. In 2014, alcohol-impaired driving fatalities accounted for nearly 10,000 deaths. And that's another one of those that's uh, a little hard to take, especially if you're on the other end of that or have family that's, that's the innocent party in that. So alcohol abuse, drug abuse, um, it's, a, it's a problem. Always will be, always has been, always will be, unfortunately, just because of the nature of, of us as humans and, and not following after sound teaching. Some of that sound teaching that we find here in Proverbs, look in Proverbs 20 and verse 1. It says there that wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler, and whoever is intoxicated by it is not wise. We're going to see some language here in, in Proverbs that kind of uh, you maybe, maybe don't think about in terms of, of alcohol, but I just love the way that this is, this is put out here. Wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler. Um, and those who are intoxicated by it are not wise. So just the very, from the very outset here, um, what, something that's, that's been said probably in your life, it's just not smart to drink. It's just not smart to get intoxicated. Uh, and that's what the, the, the proverb says here. Whoever is intoxicated by it is not wise. It's not a wise thing to get involved in, um, in drinking and, and being in, impaired uh, by the effects of drinking. Go over to uh, Proverbs 23. A couple more verses here that we'll look at. Uh, verses 20 and 21, it says, uh, uh, Proverbs 23, uh, Do not be with heavy drinkers of wine or gluttonous eaters of meat. For the heavy drinker and the glutton will come to poverty, and drowsiness will clothe a man with rags. So here's a little bit different slant on it, is that uh, don't get involved with people who are heavy drinkers. Um, and why? Because it says they will come to poverty, and drowsiness will clothe them a man with rags. If, we, if you've ever been touched by alcoholism, uh, you know that it's... Um, very detrimental, and it, it puts people in a very tough financial situation. They spend money on drink um, rather than on things that they should, have a hard time keeping a job. Um, there's a lot of financial ruin that comes um, from alcoholism and the abuse of alcohol. And that's what the proverb writer is telling us here. Don't, don't get associated with those people because they're, um, they're, they're bound for no good. Their lives are, are compromised by just the things that they engage in. Look also over, beginning at verse 29, this is probably a, a passage that you're familiar with when it comes to drinking um, with the Proverbs. Beginning verse 29 of Proverbs 23. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? And the answer to that is, begins in verse 30. Those who linger long over wine, and those who go to the taste of mixed wine. Do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. At the last, it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. 
Your eyes will see strange things, and your mind will utter perverse things. And you will be like the one who lies down in the middle of the sea, or like the one who uh, lies down on the top of a mast. They, they struck me, but I do not become ill. They beat me, but I do not know it. When shall I awake? I will seek another drink. I just This language here is just so vivid about, um, you know, who is it that... Uh, the, the questions there, who has woe, who has contentions, who has complaining, who has wounds without cause? Think about the, what we talked about there with the deaths and the um, things that could be prevented if not engaged in alcoholism. Who has redness of eyes? And it's the one who drinks. It's the one who, who, who looks at that glass of wine and it sparkle in the cup and who takes it down, it goes down smoothly. But as the proverb writer says there, uh, it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. You know, the effects of it after it goes down, it might taste good going down, but the effects of it are terrible. You bring about all sorts of, of woe and contention, and all these things that are brought on by alcoholism. Let's talk about a little bit as far as uh, what the New Testament says. Let's go over to Romans 13 for just a second. We'll look at a few passages here in the New Testament. Um, we know, of course, that um, such behavior is, is not condoned for that of a Christian. Uh, in Romans 13 and verse 13, it says, Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus and make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lust. You know, Paul here is instructing uh, about drunkenness is, and saying, you know, this, this is not pop, proper behavior. And he listed among sexual promiscuity and sensuality, carousing, strife, and jealousy. So these things that, um, that we recognize that's not fit, proper uh, conduct for a Christian, amongst that is drunkenness and carousing. Again, similar to what is said in the Proverbs there. Look over in 1 Thessalonians 5. <clears throat> Paul here instructing uh, on the Thessalonians um, but you brethren beginning in verse 4 of 1 Thessalonians 5 but you brethren are not in darkness that the day should, be, should overtake you like a thief for you are all sons of light and sons of day we are not uh, of night nor of darkness so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and of the helmet, the hope of salvation. So here's more instruction about that. And, and if you just think about Paul here is relating this to deeds of darkness. Um, darkness is, is always associated with evil and light's always associated with good and he's making that comparison about those who get drunk get drunk at nighttime and if you think about um, you know when do people go out and, and engage in this kind of, of activity it's at night isn't it some people do in the daytime and that's a whole other story but those who especially social drinkers and those who go out on weekends and those kind of things they're going out at night and doing this in the cover of darkness and there's a reason for that Paul here is saying that those things take place in the nighttime, but you don't be that way. You be sober and alert. You're in the daytime. 
Don't have anything to do with those who are participating in these things uh, of the night. And look also over in 1 Peter 4. <clears throat> And I like the way Peter um, addresses this. Um, he says here in verse 3 of 1 Peter 4, For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out to the desires of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousals, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. I love the way he starts that off. For the time is already past is sufficient for you. You've wasted enough time doing those things of the world. Whatever that time amount is, that's sufficient. Move on from there. We've all come out of the world from, at some point, and we understand that those things that we came out of in the world need to be left back there. That time that we spent engaged in such activities, so be it. That's enough time for that. Let's move on to the good things. Let's get away from drunkenness and carousing and, and drinking parties. So... We come down to something uh, where we understand drunkenness, social drinking. We have no place in the life of a Christian. We know that. We know that these things are, are, are those kind of deeds done in darkness. And they have no place in the life of a Christian. So from the Proverbs we see that the wisdom that is spelled out there um, about drunkenness, about the abuse of alcohol. Let's move on to another um, subject heading here, and this is um, about making plans, about the plans that we make as, as, as people, um, and this is, go this is ongoing all the time. We're always making some kind of plans, and that's, that's okay, but, but let's look at some proper attitudes that we need to have when we're making our plans. I want to start with this. This is in, actually in chapter 16 of Proverbs. Commit your works to the Lord and your plans will be established. I like the sentiment here that, um, you know, you need to commit what you're doing to the Lord. The, we'll talk about the next verse here in just a second, but I like the way that this is kind of flipped a little bit in that be diligent about what you're doing and the things that you do and work for the Lord and then your plans will be established. That'll come kind of afterwards, almost. Uh, and we'll see how this attitude kind of plays out a little bit here. But, you know, diligent work for the Lord, if you're doing that, then the plans that you have are going to be established. But always follow through on what it is that you want to be doing. Um, here's some, some things about that. Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 10, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. I think the New King James says, do it verily. Um, for there is no activity or planning or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol where you're going. So the things that you do, um, first, commit them to the Lord. You know, make sure you're following um, what the Lord's plan is. You know, we know what those things are. It's no secret what he wants us to do. Commit that to the Lord, and then your plans... Uh, will be established because if, you, if you're not doing that, if you're not working with your hands in the proper way, then your planning is going to be off or not anyway. Um, look in Proverbs 19, verse 21. 
It says, many are the plans in a man's heart, but the counsel of the Lord, it will stand. You know, we, we make these plans, uh, and like I said, we have many plans in our hearts. You know, we have things that we want to do, and um, big projects, little projects, big things in our lives, little things in our lives. Um, and that's okay. But what we need to have is that proper understanding of what the Lord is telling us. The counsel of the Lord, it will stand. Our plans, our work, all needs to be in accordance with God's will. And if it's not, then like I said, our plans are just going to be, um, are really going to come to nothing. They're not going to come to fruition like we want them to. Over in uh, 21, Proverbs 21 and verse 5, It says, the plans of the diligent lead surely to advantage, but everyone who is hasty comes surely to, pro- to poverty. And this kind of um, lets us know that what we're engaged in, we need to be doing it heartily, with all our might. Those things that we engage in hastily, and if we're not committing those things to the Lord, then you know, it's just not going to add up to much. Um, it's it's not going to give us the wealth um, to be blessed as we might think it would. Um, look over in uh, Psalm 127 for just one second. There's a, a verse that kind of goes along with this, the first part of, of verse 1 in Psalm 127. Um, talks about a man who builds his house. It says there, uh, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Um, you know, unless you have um, the proper attitude and in, in, in carrying out the Lord's will, then whatever it is you're doing is in vain. The, the psalmist here is, is using the example of building the house, but it applies to everything. If we don't have that proper attitude, uh, our, our work is going to be in vain. If we look over uh, in Luke 14, that, that should immediately spark your mind to, to think about um, what our Lord says in Luke 14 um, <clears throat> about the, the cost of discipleship. And this really is the, the New Testament application um, for what we're talking about here. In Luke 14, beginning in verse 25, it says, Now great multitudes were along with him, and he turned to them and said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and he is not able to finish it, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and take counsel whether he is enough to, with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation to ask for terms of peace. Therefore... No one of you can be my disciple who does not give up all of his own possessions. You know, the planning that we uh, need to engage in needs to be wise planning. And we need to understand what the cost is on the other side. If we don't have enough money to build the tower, we should never start. So our Lord is teaching here, if you come after me, you 
you have to be willing to sacrifice everything in your life. Now, there's a good chance you won't ever have to, especially in the country that we live in. We enjoy many freedoms. We enjoy much wealth. But we still have to have that attitude that we're willing to sacrifice whatever it takes to follow after the Lord. The planning. Um, also, you probably are thinking of this passage, too, over in James, where the, the proper attitude needs to be displayed when we're, we're making our plans. In James 4, and verse 13, beginning, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we shall go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Verse 14, yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. It's just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall go and live and also do this or that. So here's the proper attitude, not just that let's go do this, but if the Lord wills, let's go do this. Let's make sure we're seeking after his counsel. Make sure that this is the proper thing that we need to be doing and all of our planning. That needs to take precedence, if the Lord wills. Let's talk a little bit about integrity. Back to Proverbs chapter 19. You know, integrity is one of those things that is sadly missing in our society right now, isn't it? Um, it seems most people will say anything to get out of anything. It seems that their word changes from day to day. Uh, it's, it's very hard to find um, integrity in our society today, but, you know, that's nothing new either. But the Proverbs help us to understand what integrity should look like. In 19 verse 1, it says, Better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than he who is perverse in speech, who is perverse in speech and is a fool, you know, Integrity needs to count for something. Um, so many people are willing to um, just kind of throw this under the bus so that they might gain power or wealth or whatever it is, but integrity needs to be worth something. And sadly, we just don't see that. We see that uh, people's word doesn't really mean anything. The handshake deals are kind of a thing of the past. Um, over in... Uh, Proverbs 20 and verse 7, it says, A righteous man who walks in his integrity, how blessed are the sons after him. And we've got a couple of companion things here. Look over in 10, Proverbs 10 and verse 9. It says, He who walks in integrity walks securely, but he who perverts his ways will be found out. And then also in 11, verse 3, The integrity of the upright will guide them, but the false, falseness of the treacherous will destroy him. You know, this idea of walking in integrity, it's not just, you know, well, you know, I have integrity. Prove it. Walk in it. Display it. Um, let it guide your decision making so that the decisions you make are upright. You might suffer because of it. You might not have the wealth that you could have had. But you have your integrity, and that should mean something. Um, back to Proverbs 20, verse 10. Differing weights and differing measures, both of them are an abomination to the Lord. You know, when, 
when integrity goes out the window, you know, what's to stop someone putting their thumb on the scale? Uh, for those younger people in our audience, you know, weighing out things, um, we understand that if you go to a deli and you want a pound of ham, you expect to get a pound of ham if that's what you're paying for. Um, but that, that butcher that puts his thumb on the scale, you know, that's, the, that's where integrity goes out the window. And that's when you're not getting what you thought you were paying for. This, what the, what the uh, proverb writer here is saying is, that's an abomination to the Lord. Cheating people is an abomination to the Lord. What happened to integrity? Integrity should mean something. In 21, in verse 3, it says, To do righteousness and justice is desired by the Lord rather than sacrifice. So this is kind of the opposite of what we just read over there. Uh, those who put their finger on the scale, that's an abomination to the Lord. But what is good to the Lord is to do righteousness and justice. That's where integrity is. We're doing those things. And, you know, I think about... Um, We've probably heard this before, too. It's what you do when no one's looking that really proves your character, something to, those, to that effect. And that's very true. You know, what, what we do when no one's looking, when it's just us and our integrity and our uh, relationship with God, that's really what our character is based on. Um, back over in 1 Thessalonians 4, <clears throat> see how this kind of, plays out in the New Testament. In 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, beginning of verse 1, it says, Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that you receive from us instruction on how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you may excel still more. For you know that what commandments we gave you by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God, and that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all these things, just as we told you before and solemnly warned you. For God has not called you for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification, consequently, he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives the Holy Spirit to you. So this is uh, the, the New Testament um, display of what the proverb writer is talking about. We weren't called to be um, cheaters. We weren't called to be disrespectful. We weren't called to be um, just going along with what the Gentiles did. We're called to be sanctified, to be set apart, to be honorable. And that's what Paul is, is writing here to these Thessalonians. And that's what we're talking about here with integrity. We're to be people of honor. Also look over in 2 Peter 3. Second Peter 3, beginning in verse 11 says, since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in conduct, in holy conduct and godliness? Now, this is in the context here of Peter talking about that there's coming a time when the earth is going to be destroyed. It's going to be burned up with this fervent heat. And so he's saying, since this is going to happen, what kind of people ought you to be in the meantime? While we're waiting for that day, what kind of people do we need to be? 
Verse 12, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, on account of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found in him, uh, to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. That's what we need to be searching after. And that's what we want the Lord to find us in if he were to come back. We want him to find us practicing these things in peace, spotless and blameless. So integrity should mean something. And it does mean something to God. He wants us to be these kind of people. As is with uh, last week, we just really scratched the surface. Um, so much more, um, but I hope you can see you know, how these things um, resonate through Scripture and how the, these simple truths are so important. So a good study of Proverbs is, is so important in helping you better understand um, what the will of God is. We offer an invitation at the end of our time here, as we always do, if you have needs of this congregation. If you need prayers of the congregation, if you have something that you need to make right, if it's of a private nature, I'd um, implore you to do that, uh, to make things right with your Creator. If, a, if you have something of a public nature, we can help you with that as well. Whatever your needs might be, you can let them be known by coming forward as we stand and sing to encourage you.